we lost lives that day. We pulled, you know, animal bodies out of that building, and that's that's the worst part. So. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Tots. I'm your host, Ben Gardner. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Saf from Tiger King on. And if you're a little unfamiliar with who Saf is, Saf was one of the animal care people at the GW Zoo with Joe Exotic. He was on Tiger King and actually ended up losing his arm to a tiger while working there. We are so excited to have him on the show. This is going to be part one of our interview, and we will be releasing part two tomorrow. I hope you really enjoy this episode and stick around for part two. Hey, Saf, welcome to Tots. Hey, how's it going? Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. It's uh, it's a pleasure to have you on, and uh, I know a lot of people have been anticipating this, so it's uh, it's fantastic to actually get to sit down and talk to you. Good deal. Good deal. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So I want to start off, why don't you tell me a little bit about what you have been doing um, kind of since the show? Yeah, you know, it's been it's been a little bit of a roller coaster ride for me, um, trying to manage being a you know a family man on top of kind of the excitement of the show itself. Um, so yeah, that just navigating that is what I've been doing, um, one day at a time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And what are you trying to do for work, or what did you do for work before uh, all this COVID nineteen stuff came around? Right. <clears throat> when I <clears throat> excuse me. When I moved out here to California, obviously I just moved out here to be closer to the beach, you know, get my feet in the sand again. Um, and immediately I needed an income. So I just picked up the first job that paid the bills. I was working in a warehouse right here in the same city I live, Redlands, California. And then, you know, once the COVID hit, that's that's the only thing that affected, the, you know, my job. Um, so the Tiger King didn't, you know, hasn't affected my life personally in that sense. Still got to work, you know, still got to tend to the family. So, Sure. And you kind of mentioned and, and already got to my next question. How has the show really affected your life? Yeah, it, the show itself hasn't really affected, you know, my personal life. Um, like I said, I still got to go to work and provide for the grocery shop just like everyone else. Um, but just being in, you know, millions of viewers' eyes for at least a two-week period of time consecutively, um, I get recognized in public, so that's different because I never got recognized before. Um, right. And it's very, it's very easy to recognize me because there's not much people that you know walk around California with one hand. So, yeah, right. that's that's how it's. Yeah. Other than that, you know, other than being, you know, interviewed on on, you know all types of platforms it hasn't changed man not personally yeah i think we're all going through the same thing right now <laughs> sure yeah i totally get that um so i kind of want to talk a little bit about the show i don't i don't want that to encompass everything but in terms of the show what did you think while you were watching it was anybody misrepresented either you know were they were they over um I guess over exaggerated as like a positive or a negative. What did you think about people's portrayals? You know, I know ninety percent of them personally, so um, I know that that's how they are. But they were definitely highlighted. You know, Joe's um, eccentricness was definitely highlighted. Don't get me wrong, Joe wears sparkly, you know, leopard shirts for a living. 
Right. Um, he sings country music. You know what I mean? Like that's that's why definitely highlighted the things they knew people would be drawn to, you know? Um, but yeah, no, I think everyone was portrayed in the way that they are. I, I do believe that people were upset at the way that they were received. But you know, that's that's not something you can really control. So you just got to live your life. Be happy, man. That's what I do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you mentioned the country singing. I, I wanted to ask you, and I think a lot of people are very, very interested. All my followers wanted me to ask you. Was that actually Joe singing? Yeah, no. No, it was never. But he was <laughs> in every single music video. So those were directed by him. Um, the music, however, no. That was someone else singing it. Yeah. Do you know the person that was that was singing for him? Or was it just somebody that he hired? Yeah, I don't I don't know him personally or professionally. It was just someone he hired. He someone he found, something he did on his own. So um yeah, it was interesting because you know, if you have a conversation with that man for fifteen seconds, you immediately <laughs> know that's not his voice. <laughs> yeah, but, exactly. You know, like I said, who who was I to judge? I just went there, took care of animals and went home. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it, it sounds like people were portrayed pretty much as they are, but you mentioned people were kind of upset about how they were received. Um, who, like, to your knowledge, was was really not happy with how they were received? Yeah, I've been told that Carol was not happy. Um, and I can understand that because she yeah. was definitely... Um, I mean, there was a lot of villains there, but she was definitely <laughs> on the back nine, you know? Um, right. And then Doc Antle also called his dynamic his ways of living life a cultish environment. So I can I can understand that. Um, but my response to that is, you know, I don't know what the conversations between these filmmakers and these producers were with these other people. I do know right. their conversation with me. And our conversation consisted of this story will be told with or without you. You're a significant part of it. You have a hell of a story. I think you should be the one to tell it. And that was all I needed to know. I was in, and I told my story. So the way you're received is is always, you know, based on what you give out, man. And I feel like you just need to own it, be happy. I've never seen a happier man than Doc Antle. Whether people agree with it, they like it, they hate it, he's a happy man, and I think he should continue to do so, you know? Yeah, he's just living his life. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. So, oh, you're right. in terms of working at the exotic animal park, what was it like going in every day and working with these big cats? And and what is your favorite memory of working there? Man, that's a wonderful question. Um, it was a dream. If you can imagine living your dream, you know, and when you love what you do, you don't work a day in your life. So I didn't work for 10 years, you know. I went in every day and interacted with these beautiful animals. And I don't remember anything else making me that happy, you know? So that's kind of the way that I approached it all. <clears throat> I got to live my dream out and nothing else mattered, you know? So yeah, it was, it was awesome, man. It was awesome. For me, it was awesome. Yeah, that's great. Did you have like a favorite animal that you worked with while you were there? Yeah, obviously the tiger, you know, I've loved the tiger since mm -hmm. I was a kid. Um, but I did in 2012, I fell in love with a grizzly bear, man. And he was probably really? the best thing that's ever happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me more about that bear. 
Yeah, his name was Mac. He um he came from a husband and wife that just had him, didn't want him, you know, wanted to make sure it went somewhere where uh, they they had a young child is is what it was, and they can't have a bear and a young child in the same house. So yeah, I, I ended up with this. He was about nine months old, about a nine month old grizzly bear, and um and he was awesome. He was temperamental. I mean, he he made sure I knew who who the big bear was, you know. But he was just the most loving soul. I love that about grizzly bears. You know, they're very gentle, passionate souls. And um, I fell in love with him, man. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. So Netflix makes a lot of references to, like, drug use and things like that on the property. Um, And specifically, they talk a lot about meth and, like, you know, meth mouth with some of the people working there. In your experience there, what was the drug use like? Or was there any? You know, <clears throat> definitely. You know, um, it was the same as if, you know, you had an employer in point A and an employee in point B. And whatever they did at work was all that mattered at work. And then they went home and they could do whatever they wanted. The only difference was that point A and point B sat on the same property for right. these employees. So, yes, I mean, on their personal times, they were partying up like, you know what I mean? It was their last day. Um, And then, of course, within the rankings, like Joe's husbands were always under the influence of something, you know, and that's just the way that it was on park. Um, Like I said, if it didn't affect my day, I didn't pay it any mind. Um, But I know that there wasn't any substance abuse on park. And, And it's not because we're too smart for it. And it's not because we enforced it. It's strictly because if you are not sober enough to be faster and quicker and smarter than a tiger, you will pay with your life. And that's just it. Yeah. I mean, sounds like it. Now, what was it like to work for someone as eccentric as Joe Exotic? Like, tell me about the good parts and the bad parts. Yeah. um, Joe was the type of person who always wanted to be the star of the show. You know, so if you can imagine working with that on a daily basis, um, it got it got hard. And then there were times where it was it was the most fun, you know, you could have at a place you called work. Um, who else could could do what they love doing for work as work? You know, no one. So because Joe was the kind of my personal key to that life and to that environment and to that experience, um, I didn't pay much of his quirks any mind you know joe was always saying something joe was always doing something joe was always involved in something um and if it didn't have anything to do with animal care i didn't care (laughs) (laughs) sure yeah do you have a particular memory with him that was either really good or really bad like what is your like defining memory spending time with him Yeah, you know, it it was times when everyone else went home. Um, We had to stay because there's still lots of work to do. Um, So it was like the the night times on park. You know, we shut down the park, obviously. There's no customers. The employees went home for the night. And we're trying to figure out what the next day consisted of. But those were Joe's most raw moments, you know, when no one else was looking and no cameras were on. I mean, Joe was able to just be a man who did the same as every other man in Oklahoma, you know, got up and worked for a living. Um, and those are my fondest memories of him because he wasn't putting on a show, you know, he was just a dude, just a dude. 
You know, he's a good guy. I've seen Joe give the, the jacket off his own back to others who didn't have one. You know, I've seen him give the money out of his own pocket because they didn't have it. Um, it's, it's little things like that that's not on camera, that's not plastered on the news or a Netflix special. You know, I, I know Joe did a lot of things that I didn't condone myself. Um, but I also know that, you know, I, I know that the empathy in him, the human in him, you know, and I think people look past that a lot. So, Sure. Do you think, so kind of leading into that, um, we have this other, you know, massive character on the show, at least for the first part of the show, Rick Kirkham. What did you think about him? And I guess how much of him filming a reality show at the same time, like led to Joe kind of putting on a show and like, and his stress? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think it was, um, just a, a situation of two opportunists kind of butting heads on that, you know, in that sense. You know, Rick made it perfectly clear that his intentions were to come there to to make money off of this story, this gold mine that he found. Um, and Joe made it clear every second of the day that his intentions were to be famous, to be everywhere, you know? that we We had, or the zoo itself had, maybe 10 billboards along I-35, in Oklahoma, and every single billboard had Joe's face on it. So if you can imagine that with with a guy who has been in the production business, in the production industry, knows the kind of money that's there. If you can imagine them two getting together, I could have wrote that story the exact same way years ago. You know? <laughs> so to me, it just, it just made sense that that would be the only ending, is them literally going after the same thing and destroying everything about it. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. We are going to take a quick break. But when we come back, Saf and I are going to discuss some of Joe's charges, including animal abuse and what really went on at the GW Zoo. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. If you loved watching Tiger King and seeing all the crazy places tigers are kept in captivity around the United States, the sponsor for this week, Juanita's Adventures, has maps for you. For a limited time, you can get 15% off maps from places all over the United States that were actually shown in Tiger King. So we start off with Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, where Doc Antail has his safari and many wives. Then we move on over to Tampa, Florida, where Carol Baskin operates Big Cat Rescue and is a spokesperson for a local septic tank company. Then we're going to go over to Norman, Oklahoma, which is right outside Winniewood, where Joe used to run the GW Zoo and wear tasseled shirts like it was his purpose in life. If you want to get 15% off of these beautiful map prints, just go to www.juanitas.etsy.com and use code SAFRULES. That is S-A-F-F-R-U-L-E-S, all capitals. Use that at checkout and you'll be good to go. Big thanks to Juanita's Adventures and Studio 15 Artisans for sponsoring this episode. All right, let's get back to our interview with Saf. So Joe got in a lot of trouble uh, with the law, and and that's currently why he's in jail. Um, A lot of what they, you know, either rightfully or wrongfully pinned on him were animal abuses. You know, you being uh, on park and under staff, what was your experience like in that situation? Did you ever see any abuse by any of the other employees or Joe? And and what do you think about them pinning those charges on him? Yeah. 
Yeah, no, there was never abuse. You know, um, Joe did a lot of things that he shouldn't have done. He did. He did put animals down. You know, he did put animals down and then he brought more animals in, which, you know, is ultimately just recycling animals, you know? So, yes, there's a lot of reasons why Joe is in prison, you know? Um, But as far as the animal abuse, I mean, from my point of view, and I've worked in this industry with Joe for 10 years, almost 10 years, from my point of view, we, you work with animals, you work with any other living thing, you're not, you're not doing it a particular way you're reacting to them they're a living life they're making decisions that you're not aware of until it's so that that just ties into you know and i've said this a hundred times it's a relative word you know it, it just depends on the situation you know um if i put an animal in a cage that you think is too small for it that's abuse in your eyes that's abuse you know, and I think that has a lot to do with this entire circle that's going on right now is that anyone can have an opinion on it. Yes, Joe had way too many animals on that park, way too many and way too little resources. Um, but I know that the way that we did things on that park, had there been less animals, had it been more about quality instead of quantity, man, it would have been a beautiful place. A beautiful, Any animal would have been happy to live their life out there for sure. Right. Does that still bother you to this day, knowing that you could have done it much better than it was done? Every second of the day, there's a, there's not a time I don't think about it. Yeah, because I dedicated so much of myself, blood, sweat, tears, a left hand, to just that, to advocating for them, to, to progressing their life, even if it's only within captivity. And now I couldn't even answer the question, what's best for them? I don't even know the answer to that question. And that's that's going to haunt me forever, absolutely. And how does it feel to to have worked in that industry and, and really given your all and then some and to kind of come out with this result of, I, I have no idea, you know, what, what should have been done? Yeah, it's... it's um... <laughs> shatters all those glass boxes that I've lived in for so long. You know, I can see everything pretty clearly, but I just am so out of touch, so out of reach with it. Um, but that was shattered with this situation because I was right there. I was I was firsthand, front lines, you know. So, yeah, it's tough, man. And, and I think that's why my next moves as far as professionally working with the animals, it's probably never going to be in a zoo or out of a zoo or with a sanctuary or whatever the case is. I feel like it would be best, I would be best served if I can just use my platform, just like Netflix did, you know, and just get these eyes on this issue because we're we're bigger and better in numbers, you know? Obviously, one person 10 years in the business didn't make a dent, but Netflix puts, puts a documentary out and millions of people see it overnight. You know what I mean? So, right. I mean, if there is a positive in it, it's just that it's it's just that more people are aware of it even if they don't agree even if they don't care they are aware of it you know and that's enough so yeah absolutely and i guess so for me as well um me personally i've worked in and out of the animal industry for i think seven and a half years something around there so kind of you know leveling with you and understanding some of the intricacies of animal care and things like that. And, and I mean, exactly what you said, like when you're 
in it, it's it's incredible and you don't feel like you're working. So what does it mean to you to have to give that up because you just you feel so lost now after everything that's happened? Right. Yeah. Um, I, I actually had to physically find myself again, which is why I am no longer in Oklahoma. You know, um, I spent almost a year after I left the zoo trying to just pick back up and move on. Um, but being in that state, I was only two towns down. So maybe a 10 minute drive down the road. Um, I just couldn't get away from the feeling like I just walked away from the only thing that's made me happy, you know, as an adult. Um, so I, I had to leave and I felt like the best way to do that was to get back to my roots, you know, just to get back to the, the good days, man. And the good days for me, I was born and raised in Hawaii. The good days for me was sand, sun and salt water. You know, so I just wanted to be by the beach. I'm in California. That's step one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Hey, I mean, from my perspective, it seems like you have been put in a situation where you, you've had to give up something that makes you happier than anything you've ever known. And you're moving on and, and you're trying to be positive. So I don't know. I, I feel like you're on the right track. And uh I just want to say that I'm proud of you for for realizing that and picking up and and trying to figure out what's going to make you happy in this next stage because I think that's that's crucial like that's all anybody can do you know absolutely you know um, and I appreciate that I appreciate you saying that um, but yeah I, I've always believed you know <clears throat> and you can tell by the, the decisions I've made in my life I just believe that you just have to be happy within that moment and then you just live moment to moment you know and um, it's worked out so far. So yeah, I'm, I'm happy now. Um, like I said, I'm navigating this crisis just alongside everyone else. Um, and I'm also navigating this new found platform, you know, and hopefully I can make the right decisions to use it in a progressive manner. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so switching gears just a little bit, um, I want to get back to another big moment I think for many people that happened on the show, which was when Joe's studio um, kind of slash uh, what seemed to be the Gator exhibit, which I, I still don't know how that worked out. So I need you to explain that to me. But when that burned down, that that was a huge moment. So first, I need to know how it worked out that it was a studio and a Gator exhibit. And then um, really what you think actually happened, because there's a lot of speculation. Right. Um, so the the kind of dynamic of this studio was that it was a building that had an, an enclosure on each end of it. And in the very middle of those two enclosures um, was a built-in studio, an actual TV studio. Joe put on a, a TV show that, that streamed through the internet every night, every single night at 6 p.m. Um, so on one side in, in one of these enclosures was our baby alligators because they're, you know, when they're so young, you have to kind of regulate their temperature for them. You know, they're cold blooded. So you got to keep it, keep it warm, keep it right at the perfect temperature. And then the other side was used for our adults, our, our adult alligators during the winter and only during the winter they were pulled in because the exact same reason they don't eat. Um, so we want to assist them in regulating their own temperatures. Sure. So we put them in in a yeah in controlled uh, temperature environment, and unfortunately, you know, at this time frame, 
they were indoors. So all of our adult alligators and all of our baby alligators were in these enclosures when this studio burned to the ground. Jeez. Uh, so yeah, we lost lost lives that day, and that's the saddest part, is that they were focused on arsony, and they were focused on what footage was lost. Um, we lost lives that day. We pulled, you know, animal bodies out of that building, and that's that's the worst part. So, um, as far as you know, the the content. So basically, you know, from Rick Kirkham's point of view, his entire work, his entire time spent at that zoo, and the work put in and the footage produced was all gone. It was destroyed, gone. Um, and as far as Joe was concerned. Everything, everything was on those hard drives, everything. And that was all gone. And then of course the lives of the animals, the, the finances of the building, yada, yada, yada. What happened? There's only two people that would have benefited from something being destroyed and something being saved. And that was Joe and Rick. So who knows from there? You know, it's just as much of a mystery as, you know, Carol Baskin's husband. You know, yeah. no one knows, no one's talking, um, and everyone's pointing fingers. So, yeah. And I think that's, that's such an important thing that you said about the fire is that you had Rick worrying about his footage. You had Joe worried about the hard drives and you're standing in the middle, like what the hell? Like we, we lost animals. And I think for me, like the reason that I wanted to have you on the show and the reason um, that I, I really enjoyed you telling your story on the show was because I felt like from my perspective, you were like the main person who gave a damn about the animals and what happened. And I remember specifically there was a part where they're asking all the different people on the show you know, who's the biggest loser and, and, you know, like Joe or Carol or Rick and like all these different things. And you just said the animals. And, and that really struck me. And I guess like, like to that point, has your experience here and, and being so focused clearly on the lives of these animals and their correct treatment, has that changed your mind at all about animals being in captivity in zoos and things like that, or even just big cats being in captivity? Right. Great question. And again, it draws back to the question that I still can't answer. Um, what's best for them? Man, I think, and I and I said this to myself the other day, so it's so funny. I, I've never seen a big cat in the wild. I've never seen that. Um, and I would love to see that. And I know once I do, I know exactly what the answer to that question is. Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, but until that day, I don't know the answer. Um, I'm okay with putting my pride down and saying the work that I've done for the past 10 years is not what's best for them because I still, every second of every day for those 10 years, gave them my all. Full-fledged knowing that as much as I give, it's never going to be as much as I receive from, from those animals, man. And that's the whole point. You know, we're blessed. We're privileged to be able to be a part of their life. We're privileged. And I think we lose sight of that, you know. And I know the only thing I need to do from this point forward is see them in the wild. So 
that's my next move for sure. That's incredible. Yeah, that's that's a fantastic answer. I love that. Um, so so kind of piggybacking on that, you I think more than anybody on the show had probably the most unique and if it were me traumatic experience with animals at this park uh, in losing your arm. And so I th- I think the the Netflix show did some things really well and I think one of the things that they did wrong though is that they did not really give any details about what actually happened it was very loose so I was wondering if you could talk me through what happened and and what was it actually like to to lose a limb like that's not something that many people experience yeah um <clears throat> So it was just a typical day. It was a Saturday morning. It was around 10 a.m. And in about an hour and a half, we had a tour, a tour of maybe 150 people plus. So I was just getting through my chores. I just wanted to finish what I had I had open so that I can get on with the tours and get on with the day. Um, and I've done this same Saturday over and over again for almost, almost three years at, at that point. Um, and... And it just complacency got the best of me. Um, what we do with these cats, with any of the the predatory, you know, animals, the dangerous animals, we take them from one pen, which is their main enclosure, and then we put them in a shift pen, so that that entire pen, that entire enclosure, is secured, and our employees, including myself, can go in and out, clean, feed, water. Um, change enrichment up, which is just their toys or their, their bedding or their housing, you know, move their housing around, stuff like that. Um, and all I was doing with this cat was I was standing in his main enclosure, shifting him back into his main enclosure from his shift pen. And I do this every day, a hundred times a day. And like I said, just complacency. We have all these tools. We have every protocol in place. We have the gates placed a certain way, the locks placed a certain way um, in order to keep everyone, including the animal, safe. And I Mm. just, you know, I just, like I said, got complacent. Um, Used my hand instead of using the pull bar. And, you know, once he saw my hand go through that cage, which is he's in a shift pen at this point, so I'm not in the same cage as him. Once he saw Mm. my hand go through that cage, he immediately... it immediately took to it um and it was about 15 to 20 seconds of him biting my hand never letting go of it just biting it one time and then the the rest of the damage was done by his claws he sat down and he just he shredded me you know as far as his claws could reach he shredded me and you know tug of war between a 120 pound person and a 400 to 600 pound tiger there's no competition. So I knew that I had to just <clears throat> let him do what he was going to do, let him finish, and um, best I can get my arm back from this from this cat. Um, and at that point, he had just, I, there was nothing left. From my elbow down, there was nothing left. Um, my hand was still connected, but it was barely connected by tissue and skin. Um, and then he let me go. Um, I pulled my hand back through the cage. I kind of sat sat down because it was a pretty, you know, intense situation. Um, and kind of analyze the situation knowing that there's customers on park. There is employees that I still have open tiger cages, you know, that I have to secure. Um, and then this happened. So my main goal was stay calm so that this chaotic situation is, is as calm as it can be. Um, 
and then it kind of went from there, you know, evacuate the empl- or evacuate the customers, secure the employees, secure the tigers, and then medical attention. Get on a helicopter. I got on a I got in an ambulance from the park, um, and then got in a helicopter um, from the local hospital and flew out to OU Medical. I spent um, seven days in that hospital. So October fifth is when it happened, and I was back on park October twelfth. Wow. Just just right back, no break. Yeah. You know, I knew the longer I stayed in that hospital, the bigger a story it was going to be. Um, and that was before the amputation was even offered to me. Um, and then, you know, once they offered me the amputation, they said, because it's either amputate or, you know, a few years of reconstructive surgery, you know, and they couldn't even give me like a, a percentage of ability or capability with this, this growing hand. So I, I just told them to amputate it, you know, so I can move on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's very much part of like who you are is your, it seems to me like you're very much like, let's move to the next thing and like, let's stay positive and get the best shake of what we can with, with these outcomes. And that's a great way to be. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, like I told you, I just live from one joyful, happy moment to the next, you know? And, and the reality of that is that not everything is a good positive situation, but it's what you make of these moments. You know, I could easily have been like, I'm done. I, no one can survive with one hand, but that's, that's crazy. There's so much life to live, man. You know, I'm a, I'm a go to, they don't let me go anymore. that's awesome yeah what was uh what was joe's reaction to everything going on because on netflix again all they showed was like him walking into the gift shop and saying like that he's never gonna recover from it and telling everybody that you know what had happened what was his reaction to you and and what did he help out with yeah you know you know, um, Joe was there providing the immediate medical attention that I needed. Um, he was the one on park. He had always mentioned to me that he had a paramedic background, which I promise you didn't even cross my mind while I was laying there. So that wasn't an issue. <laughs> um, but he had wrapped up my hand, you know, he had um, used his own belt as a tourniquet, you know, um, knew he wasn't going to let me bleed my life right there on park. Um, but at the same time, I knew that he is a showman by nature. And I knew that this was going to be a show for him. Um, and at, at that time, it just wasn't even in my priority list to think about it. I didn't care. I want to fix my move on with life, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I can't, I can't do this. I was not surprised by any. I wasn't surprised by the way he acted at all, whether, you know, they cut cut and chopped it, because obviously I wasn't there. I was, you know, trying to not bleed out. But um, I wasn't surprised by him saying that he wouldn't ever financially recover, because it's true. You know, he had to refund every single ticket that day. It was a Saturday, beautiful weather. I mean, he, I'm sure he did lose a lot of money, you know. Um, and I hope and something to me too it mattered to me too but at the time it just wasn't a priority not to me you know so. sure yeah I, I totally understand that that is going to do it for today's episode of tots and also part one of my interview with saf from tiger king now we are going to release part two tomorrow so i hope you stick around for that it's going to be fantastic saf is going to talk about what he thinks about the murder for hire charges against Joe Exotic, who is currently in jail. 
He has a very interesting perspective on it, so I hope you guys will be there to listen to it tomorrow, and I will see you then.